You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hi, Mado. My name is Diana, and I've been teaching yoga for about two years. I had two questions regarding workshops. Um, the first one is regarding how often to get the students up and moving when teaching or lecturing more theoretical parts of the workshop. So say I'm teaching anatomy or myofascial release and I'm teaching the theory. When should I get them up and experiment with their body so they understand the concepts that I'm teaching better? And the second part is about handouts. What are your ideas, tips, thoughts on giving handouts? Do you prefer to give just the slides as is or give them specific handouts that are more of a workbook format with fill in the gaps or questions? Thank you very much for answering my questions. Bye-bye. Diana. thank you for asking those two very excellent questions about workshops. I will take the first one first. How often to get students up and moving and doing things during the portion of a workshop where you're, you have a lot of information to share. And my bias personally is to make your workshops as interactive as you possibly can. So what this means is that even during the moments where you are sharing information where you're kind of setting the stage for what you're going to do later, involve your students as much as possible. Ask them questions. Provide a little bit of context about what you're sharing and then invite them to come to their own conclusions first before you start to share your thoughts about the topic. In addition to getting your students more engaged while you're talking, I also recommend getting them up and switching their positions, switching their orientations, and inviting them to try things as often as possible. So what this means is that instead of a 30-minute lecture and then a practice session, I would much rather see, this is how I would teach, this is how I prefer to learn, one little five-minute explanation and demonstration, and then five to 10 minutes to practice, and then repeat that. The reason for this is multi-layered. First of all, a lot of people have some resistance and some trauma even from having been expected to sit and learn just by listening and watching somebody write things down in school. Everybody can learn by doing, but only a small percentage of the population can learn passively like that. Those people have plenty of opportunities to learn through podcasts, books, books on tape, online courses, etc. So when you have the gift of being in person, it's a lot more inclusive to teach in a way that more people, specifically people who don't learn well while they're sitting still, are going to be able to benefit from. Even though that is the dominant expected form of education that most of us 
sat in schools and were lectured to. This is actually not how we learn best, any of us. Our brains can pay really good attention to something for about 20 minutes. So that is the absolute longest that I would stand or sit and talk for. After that, we need a change in orientation. We need to use different senses. We need to move. We need to shift the size of the group. Anything that creates a reset for the brain and tells the brain this is a new situation. Different people also feel more or less comfortable and more or less engaged in groups of different sizes. Some people really come alive in a big group and love sharing stories and examples and asking questions in a big group. Other people thrive in smaller groups like groups of three or four or five. And some people really feel most comfortable just one-to-one. So when I teach a workshop, when I teach a training, I really like to switch up the group sizes, sometimes engaging in conversations with the whole group, sometimes breaking them off into smaller groups. And I really like partner work, not necessarily physical partner work, unless people have opted in and consented to that. And to be clear, this is for workshops. I probably would not do this in a regular class setting unless it was a group that really knew each other well. But there's two ways that I like to pair people up. One is the demonstration and one is reflection. So for demonstration, I would teach a concept and then basically I would invite one person in the pair to become the teacher or the observer because we learn very differently when we are watching somebody else do something versus doing it ourselves versus hearing about it. Here's an example. When I teach an upper body workshop and I want to demonstrate and have my students understand shoulder protraction and retraction. I can talk about it, I can demonstrate it, and I can instruct them to try it. But a lot of times they don't get it until I pair them up and ask them to watch each other. And when they watch another person and see how the other person might be struggling with the same thing they're struggling with, they have this new perspective And then when it's their turn, they're able to apply that in a different way. Usually, I am not having them touch each other. And if I have them give each other feedback, it will be with very specific instructions. For example, name the things you notice without any stories or value judgments about it. Or share what your personal experience was in a way that really owns it as your experience, acknowledging that someone else's experience might be different. Facilitating this kind of partner work is a little bit tricky because there's all of these interpersonal dynamics and we're not able to hear or monitor everything that people say to each other. So framing your instructions for the partner work in a way that makes the interaction really useful, it takes some practice. And you'll probably have to mess up a bit and learn through trial and error. But I do think it's a really valuable strategy for deep learning. The other type of partner work, and I find this type to be easier, 
is simply pairing people together to reflect on their experience. I have an entire course on teaching workshops. And in that course, I share a framework for the different components that I think are really necessary for an integrated and complete workshop experience. And one of those is reflection. We can teach a ton of amazing stuff, but if we don't give our students space and a container to reflect on what they learned, they're going to walk away with less. One thing that's so hard and frustrating as a facilitator and a teacher is we rarely have time to share everything that we want to share. We get so excited about our topic. We often overplan, but we also have to recognize that our students are actually going to walk away with a fraction of what we actually shared. So I think it's very useful to get really clear on what are the top priorities for what you want people to walk away with. And then you can use those reflection times to both help reinforce the things that you really want them to walk away with and also to gather information for yourself on how effective your workshop was. So the nice thing about working in pairs is everybody is much more likely to get a chance to share something with somebody else. And a lot of us learn really well, I know I do, by talking it out. When I have an idea for something in my business, often I will talk it out with my assistant and I will figure out so much through the process of sharing my thoughts. So putting people together in partners and inviting them to do this really supports especially people who are like me and who learn well by talking things through, but it it really helps everybody. Okay, so that was a long answer to your first question. Short answer is as often as possible. Get them up and moving as often as it makes sense for you based on the material that you're sharing. And definitely don't have them sit and listen for any longer than 20 minutes at a time. Okay, question number two is about handouts. I'm going to expand this question to really talk about all the different types of assets we could include in a course. Some of the things that come to the top of my head are a whiteboard where we write things down on. This could be a chalkboard or anything that we are creating in real time. A slideshow that we've prepared ahead of time. Handouts, which you were asking about. Workbooks and other visual aids. Whenever we are thinking about workshop assets, we need to make sure that they are an asset, meaning that they contribute significantly to the benefit or the experience that the students have in the course. I have received handouts that were really just a waste of paper, and I've received handouts that were very useful. I've watched slideshows that were so dry and and felt like a handicap to the presenter. And I've watched slideshows that really illustrated what they were talking about in a visual way and enhanced my experience. So the first question to ask yourself about any type of visual aid or asset that you want to bring in to a workshop is, what if I didn't include it? Would the student experience be any less? And if the answer is no, then honestly, I probably wouldn't include it. 
What you could do in that case is offer to email it to anyone who wants it. That way you're not wasting paper on something that some people might appreciate and others will just throw away. The other question to ask yourself is, where do I want the student's attention to be? Do I want it to be looking down at a piece of paper? Do I want it to be looking at a screen? Or do I want it to be focused on me and what I'm talking about? And none of these is wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that to bias one over another. There may be times when you want them to be more introspective and you might want to include a workbook where they have quiet time and they're generating their own ideas. You might want to have the screen up because the level of detail that you can provide in a slideshow is going to really contribute to their understanding of the topic. Or you might want to use a whiteboard that's co-created with them because instead of just writing things down that you think are important, you're writing their ideas down, you're writing their thoughts down. And the more you engage them in the process, the more they're going to be paying attention. And the more they are paying attention, the more they learn. Okay, I hope this was helpful. As you can see, I'm very passionate about workshops. I love teaching workshops. They are just my absolute favorite format. I love teaching workshops in person. I love teaching them online too, but in person is definitely my favorite. If anyone listening wants to find out a lot more of my thoughts on workshops, you can sign up for that online course. It's called Workshops That Wow. It's entirely self-paced, which means that you could go to teachingyoga.net slash wow right now and go watch the entire thing all at once, or you can take your time. Occasionally, I will offer it with a live component. So if you enjoy a live component, it would be an online live component. Then even if you signed up during a time I wasn't offering a live component, I would invite you to the live sessions the next time I offer them. So the link for that again is teachingyoga.net slash wow, just W-O-W. Thanks, Diana, for these really great questions and the opportunity for me to talk about one of my favorite topics. And to all of you who have used the record a question for the podcast button on my website so far. I'm loving this new type of episode. I love having your voices on the podcast with me. So if you have a question or one pops up in the future, go to teachingyoga.net and find that record a question button. Thank you as always for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.